Welcome to the 37th episode of the MBA podcast. Today, our hosts dive into the state of medtech and what to look forward to in the second half of 2023. Hit subscribe below so you never miss an episode. Welcome everyone to the 4th of July edition of the MedTech's MedTech Business Academy podcast. We're very delighted to have everybody on. Everybody's recording. We're recording this right now on Friday, June 30th. So the fact that we have people that are still working on a Friday pre-July 4 is pretty remarkable. Um, but very much appreciate. Hopefully the listeners will be listening post-July 4th so while they're having their barbecue and their hangovers. We're setting in perfectly right in that time frame. Uh, my name is Skinner Darity. I'm joined today by my esteemed panel of MBA hosts and the med tech experts. We have Scott Alexander, Tom Hickey, and Barbara Strain. Uh, before we kind of get into today's topic du jour, I just want to give a big shout out to uh, Barbara Strain, Colleen Patterson for hosting what is now a sister podcast. They've released their first podcast. I think we just hit the hit the tape this week, right? Uh, it came out this week uh, and it is Women in MedTech. Um, and they have done an incredible job in the first one. They already have, I think like six episodes pre-lined up with guests, uh, esteemed guests from around the uh, the industry. And uh, I'm really excited for, uh, for what they've put together and what they are putting together. And just wanted to make sure that our audience is tied into that one. Please look out for it. Women in MedTech. Uh, it's a great platform and uh, really, I think you'll enjoy the guest. So guest, the topic du jour today is going to be about uh, just some inference and some feedback that we've had. It is the tail end of the first leg of the trade show season. Uh, before we hit the summer break, uh, I have been regaled with the opportunity to have uh, traveled and been at a few of these trade shows in the last few weeks uh, and hit a bit of the circuit. And one of the things that we were talking in our in our pregame uh, development here was the idea, uh, and it's an overwhelming sense. Didn't matter a size of organization. Didn't matter what side of the business you were on, capital, service, consumable. Didn't matter. There just seems to be this anticipatory weight um, amongst the industry where things are a little bit slow. And yes, there's always haves and have nots in every situation, but it feels like overwhelmingly as we talk about this in June. So we're at the tail end of Q2. It felt like overwhelmingly that the last three months across the board, people have been feeling like it is slow. uh, From a med tech perspective Mm -hmm. and reading through the tea leaves Right, we're we're seeing some of the Q1 and the Q2 activity isn't out there yet, but the Q1 data coming out of the provider system was not good. Is Q2 going to turn? There is a hope. I think a lot of people are putting a lot of hope as a strategy belief here that Q3 is going to turn everything around and it's going to be all rosy. And I can't tell you how many times in the last few weeks on that trade show circuit. I have heard this phrase, I am sitting on my largest pipeline of business that I've ever sat on before. So it's not total hope as a strategy. At least I would expect that some of these people have some data to support their claims, but there is an expectation that we may head into an explosive period, which is all fine and dandy. However, what do you do if it doesn't? And that's what the med tech experts are going to talk about today. 
how do you prepare and create your own opportunities in an environment where things are moving slow? And is there a capability to do so? And further to that, if it does come and this unbelievable Garden of Eden starts to emerge from the ashes, okay, and we see it come out, are you prepared? And what do you do to prepare for that? So why don't we have you guys start talking a little bit about that. Tom, what do you think about some of those dynamics? Yeah, Skender, thank you. I was just uh, sitting here taking a couple of notes as you were talking about it. And, and I, I put on my old uh, you know, VP of sales hat. And uh, one of the things that used to keep me up at night was the old statement of time kills deals, mm -hmm. right? And when you're sitting there with the largest pipeline you ever had right, in the history of your company, um, that's that is really a moment for your favorite antacid, right? Because you're not going to sleep very well at night with that. So it does create a lot of extra work because your everybody that's customer facing has to respectfully be getting touch points, right? Making sure your deal still front burner, making sure your support's not eroding making sure there's still the money, if you're, especially if you're capital equipment oriented, that the budget is still aligned, right? So, you know, it's it reminds me of the old, you know, uh, vaudeville shows where you see the plate spinners, right? You've got all these guys running around, making sure that everything is going, right? Mm -hmm. And not going to fall and crash and burn. And it creates a lot of extra work, a lot of extra stress. You can navigate it, but it takes a lot of communication, both externally and internally with all your stakeholders. Well, something that just came to my mind, having been on the provider side my whole entire career, except for now being a consultant, is from you all that have experience, what is the one or two key things that actually put something in a pipeline rather than someone being nice and having shaken your hand and saying, well, well, really, you know, what does that really constitute? What does that really fall? I think it's very subjective, right? There are some people that are like, hey, I had a great meeting. That means they're going to buy from me. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are some people who actually go further down and, and have discussed and have T's and C's negotiated and are just waiting for that final signature. So I think it is some subjectivity. I don't know. Would you agree with that, gentlemen? Yeah, I, I think I think it comes down to the value propositions that you actually bring to the table. And um and how uh, I, I had an old sales manager back, you know, early in my career, you know, young, young Scott, not didn't have any gray hair at the time. Uh and he said, you know, Scott, people buy from you because they like you and people buy from me because they have to. Like he was and what he was basically saying was like People kind of have to take pity on me as a 23-year-old kid trying to figure out the world to, to buy something. But he was kind of a jerk, and yet he was really good at selling because he knew how to describe what he was doing in a way that the, the customer couldn't see themselves saying no about. And I think, I think that is one of those things that is the difference between whether or not you're going to get deals or not in Q3 is... Do people see a world where they can be healthy and happy and still live in a good life and not buy your stuff? Because mm -hmm. if the answer to that is yes, you're probably going to lose the deal, right? It needs to be, you need to be spending this time to figure out how do I make sure that 
not just, you know, let's just say that I've got a, a pure play medical device and cardiologists use it. Not just Dr. Smith, the cardiologist needs this, but the, the, the F part of the CFO, the financial part, those people see the value in it. The operational part, nursing and ops, like they see value in it. So you've got to hit clinical, financial, and operational value propositions to make sure that everybody's aligned with it. Because if and when the dollars actually free up, it's going to be a mad rush inside of inside the provider side, right? Like I'd be going in and fighting like I'll get out for my projects against somebody else. And so even if you think you're secured right now, if you're not continuing to sell those value propositions to people other than just your champion, you're probably going to lose out because there's going to be a there's going to be an arm wrestling match that's going to happen inside IDNs on, you know, call it July. Well, 15th. Yeah, I yeah. asked that question to see what your answers would be, because I the right think the, mm. well, there is no right or wrong answer. However, <laughs> I think that it does enough. help to frame if it were me, I'd be sitting there putting my pipeline into categories. Mm -hmm right? Yeah. Re regardless of, you know, the firm because of, or the, I don't knows and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Cause before we hopped on it, in case you guys don't know, we actually sort of prepare the few minutes before we get on. So we're fresh. And what did we learn this week? And all that kind of stuff is that, that, that value prop is key, but there's so many pressures right now mm -hmm. that it's difficult to really know. And it's just not all about the big IDNs. You know, if I land that deal with someone who has 120 hospitals on Golden, it's putting your products and services into those categories that you can really have really good prospects in that isn't necessarily waiting for a long approval cycles and things. A couple of you made those comments. Yeah, Barbara, I wanted to jump in on that because I think we could literally have a whole podcast on this. Um, but it really comes down, you know, you mentioned categories. And, uh, you know, every time I've worked with any kind of a CRM, we really have always tried to define what certain categories are, define what a prospect is, define what a target is, define mm -hmm. when, you know, you're kind of at the mid-level, right? You know, with that 50% category. So I always used to create a weighted average, but it's up to leadership to challenge that every step of the way and create open communication with the sales team to make sure that things are properly adjusted in your pipeline, right? So just the fact that, you know, somebody said, hey, this is really cool at a trade show doesn't necessarily put it in the pipeline. There's mm -hmm. a whole nother level of investigation, you know, in the old detective story that has to come in with it before you can really count them as a, a pipeline event, even that so, first stage. So to build on that for full clarity, I, I believe when I'm talking to people, and again, Barbara, from categorization perspective, the most simplified format is top of funnel, mid funnel, bottom of funnel, right? Bottom of the funnel are those that are most likely you've, you've advanced the farthest with and expect, and expect to convert probably at an 80% plus clip at that point, if not higher, depending on your organization, depending on what, what's happening. Um, I, I would say confidently that when I was referring to those that saying I have the big pipeline, they are talking largely to bottom of the funnel opportunities. Mm -hmm. Those opportunities that they've invested time in, there is clear expectations. They've possibly been through an evaluation process that, that went well. Now it's just about getting to the 
actual adoption slash conversion slash uh, 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 in-servicing perspective. Um, and that is where I'm hearing we're there. It's just nobody's signing. I think, I think one of the things, if I was you know, giving advice to listeners, Q3 is going to be all about optionality. Because I think I think it's going to be turbulent. I think different areas, like some, it's going to break loose for certain categories of, of things. Other areas are going to continue to be really tight. And I think it's really hard to predict who's going to be the winner because it'll happen in pockets and it's going to be kind of a weird little thing as things start to break through. So I think it's going to be a matter of figuring out if you're running the commercial function inside a medical device company, how do you make sure that you're bro- you're, you're prepared for those different scenarios so that if it goes high, you're good. If it goes low, your cost structure isn't completely shot. And if it continues to be this trickle, like we're seeing, or like we've been seeing, like you can continue to feed yourself off of that. Cause I think, I think that's the name of the game right now. And I think the other challenge with that, Scott, I think, you know, there's that end, but you know, the, you know, for those that might have things break loose, how do you how do you plan for that, right? How do you forecast that? How do you have enough inventory, right? How do you how do you you know fulfill that demand if all of a sudden there is an explosion that it finally does turn around, right? Because that's sometimes worse than if if things are slower. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard, right? It's hard to be able to say, you know, how do, how do I make sure that I've got this ability to handle, but also I'm not going to get, I'm not staffing up and then turn out like oh we don't need it. So yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, some of the things that we've been seeing our customers approach people with, and, and actually we've been doing it as well, is if you have high confidence and there is something there, we've been talking about potentially going at risk on some opportunities, right? The old dynamic of at risk, right? Do you, when, if you're selling widgets, do you build the pre-inventory at risk, knowing that something could go wrong and now you've invested a lot of money, hopefully on inventory that you can turn at some point, but if you can't, you've invested that money and now it's, it could be sunk. So we've been talking to some customers who we have high confidence with. It's just the dynamic of waiting for, you know, a new quarter mm-hmm. and a couple of times it's a new fiscal year, right. And new budgets that approach with that. So the, so the things that we've been talking about are, Hey, let's get working. And now we create a situation where we're adding value pre actual signature to the point when it does happen, we've influenced the opportunity to continue to grow together. Hmm. And we're showing you we are trying to be a partner in this. And we've seen some of our clients do the same thing, saying, okay, we can work with you. We can be create some flexibility on payment terms. We can create some flexibility on these on these other terms to allow us to get to a point where now we're working together and we've added value in your time of need so once things turn better for you, hopefully there's there's a return in in favor. Yeah, and I think that in this sort of somewhat lull, keep checking back with your prospects and non-prospects that you didn't have maybe in your pipeline because the providers are changing just as quickly as anything else. I've been concentrating a lot on my ear to the ground with providers and some that were very hopeful and mm-hmm. everything was fairly wide open at the beginning of this uh, calendar year are now in now that they've seen at least six months, if not a full year of uh, finances, because a lot of them start their new fiscal year tomorrow. Uh 
they realize they've got to tighten belts. They might put moratoriums on even inviting anyone in to to pitch anything or or the opposite maybe. So you really have to touch base with them. Barbara, I wanted to ask you from, you know, putting your value analysis hat on, it it seems to me with the, the individuals I'm talking to, there's, there's, been just a huge influx of new technologies, new ideas everywhere from, you know, testing to, you know, now we have, you know, everybody's doing something with artificial intelligence or machine learning, and we got this. Is there part of this just value analysis and supply chain teams just being overwhelmed and almost, uh, you know, a, a paralysis by analysis of, geez, we've got so much going on here. How do we decide where to put our priorities? Is Do you sense any of that going on? There's somewhat of that going on, but at the same time, and I just heard this two days ago by several providers, there's still too much time being spent on discontinued products, other product disruptions, that they can't even get to the list of things that are out there. And getting more staff is probably not in the cards. So you have to prioritize. And so you've got to do almost, uh, to Scott's point, in a sense, but they almost have to do some quick sort of value analysis. Mm -hmm. And so the suppliers, whatever the product capital, whatever it is, need to have a good snapshot of what that really looks like so they can do something quickly to then prioritize. What are we going to look at? And what are the new GPO contracts this quarter? And what are this and what are that? And so they have to balance all that. Yeah. And I think I think that sort of value analysis piece, um, it's where a lot of small and mid-sized companies fall down is this, is this idea of like, if I get Dr. Smith to say, yeah, I like your widget, that's enough. And the reality is, we've come a long way from a value analysis committee standpoint from where we were 10 years ago. And the the financial and operational considerations are, are as important as the clinical piece is um, financially, because I don't know if you know this, but hospitals are losing a lot of money, <laughs> right? Like a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And um, you're asking them to spend more money, right? So that's a big piece. And then the operational piece comes down to the fact that I heard somebody say earlier today, Nurse turnovers like twenty seven percent. I think we've heard up to you know thirty five, forty percent in some places. Like from an operational consideration standpoint, you need to be able to address how you're going to help uh, those health systems as they have the staff turnover that they do, because otherwise you're going to do an in service and then people are going to forget about it, right? And so you do have to have those additional pieces like you haven't had before. Yeah. And and a lot of them really, and I think we've mentioned this maybe about five podcasts ago or whatever, but because of the staffing levels being where they are and things, they can't even take on or, or even think about taking on right. a, a new change in process or workflow unless it's really going to streamline mm-hmm. and help them. Well, in addition, I, I think if you're in a product right now and and you think you're going to lend a ton of value, but in any way, shape, or form, you're going to add a dollar, a single dollar to the overall cost structure of the organization, you are going to be in a wait and wait and wait mm-hmm. queue for some time. You need to reevaluate that entire CFO 
principle that you talked about there, Scott, because yeah. I, we've talked to a couple organizations. They're like, we only had $15,000. I'm like, okay, well, what's your reimbursement? How does that work? And they're like, well, we do believe that yeah. we can t- pull, you know, throughput of the patient that much faster, but I'm like, they're not going to pay for it right now. They're right. just not going to pay for it. Yeah. I had a, this is, I'm going to bring this in uh, back to this, but I was on a call with somebody uh, with a sales rep for a service that we use for serving our, our clients. I won't get into too much detail, but this person got on and this is a relatively small thing that we do. It's, you know, hosting websites. And um, to them, it was the most important thing in the world. Like it was such a big deal and that sort of thing. And to me, it's literally a rounding error. I'm like, I could care less about this. Uh, I mean, I care about it because I care about the outcomes, but like, I'm not going to get excited like you are. And I think about that in the context of, okay, I've got a widget. How am I going to uh, deliver value to a health system who's struggling to keep its doors open in a way that is going to get someone's attention? If this individual had said, hey, I'm going to help you improve the organic rankings of your customers when people type in cardiac uh, monitoring technology, you got my attention. But when you say like our, you know, hosting costs are a third of, or, you know, $5 less than what you're paying right now, I couldn't care less. So I think you have to think about the context of what is your thing doing and how does it actually drive material measurable value? And if you can't answer that question along the three things, clinical, financial, and operational, if if you can't show those three things, take a pause, use this downtime to go figure those things out because that's what's necessary for you to get the kind of growth that people are looking for. Do you think there's, so just coming from uh, business one-on-one, when there's a slowdown, okay, you do one of two things. Either you wait or you spend through it. Right. It, with hopefully sound strategy, not just throwing yeah. good money after bad. OK, what do you think are the merits to each one of those in this crossroads we sit in right now? I think, you know, it, it, some of that depends on the size of company that you are, you know, in, in you know, how much powder you have in the keg, so to speak. Um, you know, and I think the challenges for some of the, the startups or, or early stage companies um, that's a challenge to spend through it, right? So those are the ones that are really in a tough spot. Um, and this is where, you know, you need to be communicating with all your stakeholders. And by that, I mean, not only internally, but also folks like your investors, right? So they have a good view. You know, this is not a time to hide and hope that it's going to get better. It's, it's you, you talk to everybody you can talk to about the challenge, and then try to figure out, all right, how can we stimulate some, you know, orders to come through? And I'm not talking about a fire sale. I'm kind of coming back to Scott's point about, you know, revisiting that value proposition and 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 really kind of polishing that up and recommunicating. Scott, I've what do you seen... think? If you're, or Barbara, go ahead. If you, no, what do you think? Spend or wait? Uh, I think you spend on the things that are going to get you somewhere and you wait on other things. It's got to be a balance. A lot of companies and companies you never thought you'd hear say this, but they've let a lot of people go or they've totally done almost like cancel culture. They've gotten rid of 
either the WASP leaders they hoped would catch on, or they've just basically cut off their right arm saying, it's just not worth to keep this, we're just going to keep that. What we're not seeing on the provider side as a result of that is transparency into what some of these companies are doing because you may not hear about that product line going away or the actual other services they provide to you. Um, like we've cut, you know, certain um, representation in certain regions and things. And, and now everybody's covering, you know, five regions instead of just two or whatever. And then it's difficult to get a hold of people to really help you through a disruption or do something on the provider side. So there's a little bit of spend on the right things and wait on the on the other things. And, and you've got to be really good at that. Just quick plug and then I'll I'll answer. Uh to that point about like who's your rep is a big deal. If anybody is struggling with that, rep source is uh if you guys know Cheryl uh, Albert over there. They have so she's a former rep. Again, I don't have any, she's just a good person that I happen to know. So, uh, runs a company that basically helps to connect St. Somewhere Hospital to like this is your rep, and mm -hmm. uh, it's a really cool technology. I was actually talking to her the other day again, just like social call with her, just checking in, and uh, it's a cool technology. So, uh, repsource.com. Um, I am not affiliated in any way with with uh, Cheryl or repsource. Uh, I think, do you spend or do you cut back? Um, I mean, as a marketing guy, like I'm always on the front end. I'm like, spend, baby, <laughs> um, right? Put more in. Uh, I, I'll give you sort of jokes aside. I think, I think this is the time when you really need to figure out what's producing and what isn't. And you have to do that in a more sophisticated way than I think most people tend to do, right? From a marketing budget standpoint, and I'm just kind of focusing on that piece because that's the world I can talk to, the typical answer is, well, let's figure out where our sales opportunities are coming from, and we're, we're going to cut everything but that, right? So, hey, we got Google Ads is having a, you know, we get a bunch of people from Google who are searching for our stuff. And that's all fine and good, except for the fact that that lead that you got or that conversation, that response you got on that email that you sent happened because they saw you on LinkedIn they attended a webinar you did. They were talked to you at a trade booth and a in a conference. And so I think you have to be mindful of the fact that certain parts of your business are not switches that get flipped on and off, right? And so if you think about things like R and D projects, right, it's really hard to hard stop an R and D project. You can pull it back a little bit, but you really can't just hard stop it and then hard start it. It just doesn't work that way. Marketing is kind of the same way. Like you're trying to build up. You know, we we talk a lot, and sorry, I won't make this a lecture about marketing stuff, but like we hear a lot about like I got to maintain brand awareness with um, with our audience, and I think that's a that's actually not sufficient. What you need to be thinking about doing is you need to establish thought leadership for this problem. I go to Skender to solve X. Like that's what you need to be thinking about. And so, if anything you're going to do from a marketing standpoint, it's not to stop it or make dramatic cuts. It's to, it's to shrink the, the size of the audience that you're going to deliver a high quality impact to, right? So what does that mean? Like, okay, let's say that we're spending 
$30,000 a month on, on marketing and ads and all that kind of jazz. And we're just kind of covering the world, which is what most people do. What you really want to do is say, all right, well, how do we cut that down to 20? And how do we say we're, we're going to specifically target cardiologists and cardiology practice managers? And that's what we're going to do. Because by the way, that's all you should be marketing to anyway, if you have a cardiology product, because a neurologist doesn't matter for you, right? So I think this is the opportunity to be much more intelligent about your, your marketing spend and to actually increase the impact you're having on people that can move your business because you're dramatically decreasing the wasted spend on people that aren't going to help you grow your business in the first place. And Scott, right. you raise an interesting point. I was actually talking to a CEO of a lab testing company today, and it was it was interesting because they were rolling out a new product in the last six months. And he, he said, we found that there were a couple of states in and around New York, you know, uh -huh. New, North, New York, New Jersey, a couple of states there. We put two sales reps in that area and we left 25 states unrepresented. Yeah. because we were getting all that traction. So, you know, really what's producing and what isn't is is huge. And it, it might, you know, it's kind of contrary. A lot of companies think, well, we need to have national coverage and we need to have X number of reps. That's not always the case, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's where you're going to get the most, you know, return on that investment. And yeah. in this case, it was, you know, two or three states. And they basically put 25 states on the back burner. Yeah. It makes sense, right? That's where your money's going to come from. Yeah, and I think when you're going to split the herd there, you need to concentrate on where do we have product already out there mm -hmm. and making sure that that's going to remain mm -hmm. viable and we're helping them. Yeah, I think the correct answer is you double down on opportunities that have the highest yield for growth and you pull back everywhere else. And I think one of the other things that people forget about is double down on your current clients, mm -hmm. right? There, you, none of us, no company out there, I don't care who you listen to, has a 100% penetration with any single client. I don't care what you sell, okay? There is always more opportunity there. So if you want to see yield, invest in your current clients. Create better service, a better experience. Find out they've said yes to you once. If they haven't said no since, it means you're a schlep. Find a way to get them back, right? Get yeah. them back to say yes again. And they're actually your good marketers for you. Yeah. Sure. We we see it all the time where, uh, and I saw this a lot when I was at uh, running the GPO at ROI, like um, we go and do analysis and you realize like, hey, clients are, uh, med device companies get like the first case or the first doc inside Mercy St. Louis or inside Lady Bar Lake or whatever the case might be, you know, the big hospitals. And then like, it's like, they forget. It's like, they move on to, okay, now that I'm in FMOL, I got to go over to Oshner and focus on that. When the reality is like, you're in 2% or 5% of that health system. You're already on contract. You've, you've got the opportunity to go win, go get 95% of it versus just yes. 5%. Right. Don't chase logos, chase revenue. Right. Ooh. Right? Marketing guy. I'm going to write yeah. that down. <laughs> yes. feel smarter already. Thank you, yeah, Scott. I have no idea what it means. It just sounds nice. And so that's why. <laughs> it does. I was trying to figure out what the heck it just meant. but Okay. So what I was really trying good. to say is like, don't worry about getting, because I see this a lot, particularly with younger companies. Yeah, logos on your website, I right? I got five logos. Let me get a six. And the reality is like, no, you got five logos. Get as deep as you possibly can in those. So. Yeah. The way we talk to customers about it is not revenue dollars. We talk about getting customers, 
and it's not about logos. It's like actual customers, right? Yeah. Everybody's got somebody they've transacted business with. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when, you know, they are your go-to or you are their go-to for everything for that. Yep. That's a real customer. And that's when you're going to win, right? Like if you can be undislodgeable, whatever that right phrase yes. is. Sticky. Yes. Sticky. I believe it's a technical Sticky. term. Sticky. Yes. Mm-hmm. I believe that's a technical term. Yeah. Customer engagement is is the, uh, you know, word du jour, phrase du jour today, but I still don't think people are fully quote unquote engaged mm-hmm. um, and how to, and how to really maximize that. Yeah. Maybe we do a, maybe we do a podcast about that and, and talk about like, what are best practices? Cause I think we could get a really cool thing around the different perspectives on like, how do you get deep and like own a client? Um, maybe we put that on the list. Yeah. yeah. Something tells me there's a value proposition in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's some optionality. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We've been on for a little while. Uh, Have we not exhausted any other ideas on this? Is there anything else that we need to speak to on this subject? I'm good, man. I think we've covered a ton of things. Hopefully this has been really valuable for people. I do too. So let's, let's do some parting shots here. Um, Tom, why don't you lead us off with uh, your final thoughts? Sure. Uh, Thanks for that. Just as a summary, you know, one of the things I took away from this, I, I think a big part of this is listening right? Coming back to that, right? And and I really liked, you know, the, the current customer uh, angle of it. And, you know, sometimes going to those current customers, if you're trying to expand, but you're hitting resistance, that might be very insightful as to why you're not getting the other logos that maybe you want to get, right? Because you're, who's going to tell you really what's going on besides somebody that you've already had a, a business relationship with. So talk to those people, listen, take notes, and be responsive. Love it. Scott? Um, Value props, like make sure you're really kind of honing in on those. And then I think this is a time for optionality, right? So how do you, I was talking to a really cool company earlier today, and they were talking about how they make sure that they're ready when the growth comes that they can grab it all, but they're not impacting their P&L to be able to do that. And they've got some pretty novel ways of doing it. So I think optionality is the name of the game right now. Love it. Barbara? So I think I've said this, I could say this, and I probably have at most of the ends of our podcast, sit back, take a deep breath, and pick out the top three to five things we've said, and do a little uh, inward search. Where am I here? Where am I there? On all these topics, and then choose the one that you really need to hone in on. Love it. Uh, And my final thought is be creative. Right. You want to wonder why things are pausing, maybe because you've been doing it the same way you always have. Uh, and if you want to move things over, why don't you look at some of those last minute opportunities and say, hey, what are some ways that I can help them know that I'm with them? And it's not just a transaction. Be creative about how you approach people. Be wise about how you invest today. There is opportunity. The market is going to turn, but just sitting there waiting for the market to turn has been like the deathbed of multiple civilizations and companies in history, right? If you just sit there and use hope as a strategy, you're already dead. So make it your own, take your destiny in your own hands. That's it. Confucius is done. So with that. (laughs) Mm, I was saying with Barbara's internal thing, she's Buddhist. You're now I almost dropped an amen at the end of that. But... <laughs> <laughs> so, 
And so, with that, we'll say Happy Fourth of July. With that, happy Fourth of July, everybody. Enjoy. Yes, enjoy. Thank you for listening. And again, please, if you get a chance to our listening audience, please tune over to our sister podcast, Women in MedTech. Uh, they have lessons, information, uh, and, and things for everybody, not just women in MedTech. This is something right. that's incredibly pertinent for all those that want to learn more about the industry and be better uh, for their organizations. Thank you for the plug. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Today, we've heard that many companies say that they are sitting on the largest pipelines in their history. But will it be feast or famine in quarter three and quarter four? As Tom Hickey reminds us, time kills deals. To give your pipeline the best chance of paying off, make sure your customers are still engaged, your value proposition is still resonating, and stay top of mind. Thank you to our hosts, and thank you for listening in. Hit subscribe below.